right. How's it going? Okay. Welcome back, everybody. Yes. Number five. Almost done. Yep. At least with this podcast. Yeah. This theme. I'm, I'm excited that it's coming to an end. Yeah. There's some other topics I've been really wanting to hit. So. Yes. But I'm also excited to address this one. Uh-huh. Yeah. So God's eternal purpose. Yes. What does the Bible say about God's eternal... Well, yeah. About God's purpose. Yeah. Yeah. And this week we're coming at it from the angle of expression. Expression. So, yeah. Hope everyone enjoys. I'm looking forward to it too. I feel like this one's kind of the kind of a, the consummation of the other four yeah. in my thoughts. It's like this one seems to be the, I don't know, something about when God creates man, what he says in his creating him, it's like this what was what this is what was really on his heart. Yeah. And this actually kind of bleeds into the other four in a good way. So I think it's gonna be a good topic. Yeah. Yes. So, I'm excited to learn I and mean, this is not a topic that I'm um I'm not that familiar with this one. Expression. Expression. So I, I there's some well, topics I'm excited to hit. Yeah. I think maybe just when we say expression, maybe that's not as familiar for people. But I think what a lot of people think of as God's purpose maybe is glory. To give God the glory. Give God the glory. And I think that's a a more common way of expressing it. (laughs) Express. But, you know, that's what we're really talking about, glory. I just think that term has been spoiled. Um, Sure, because it's kind of like the... You know, make a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Glory be to God. Yeah. Or, yeah. you know, I mean, whatever. Yeah. And glory in the Bible is not a matter of accrediting God. It's not a matter of just saying, well, he did it. Thus, I've glorified him by admitting that, you know, which I think is kind of what it's become in the modern world. Um, yeah. So that move, really, we're talking about glory. Um, I don't know. How should we get started? Should we do a Genesis intro or should we get into glory versus start um Mm, what do you think mm -hmm. i don't know man why don't we start with genesis okay i feel like we've done that Mm -hmm. and let's just continue yeah go from there yeah so the genesis verse is probably the most famous verse of genesis one and that is well maybe not i don't know maybe one one it's the most yeah. famous. But 126 is like a big one. Yeah, because it relates to us. Yeah. Everyone should have this verse memorized. I'm not going to test Will um, right now, so don't worry. I know you've been nervous, but... Uh, well, I was, I was, yeah. I, I, well, we won't even get into it. I hate tests. Go ahead. <laughs> Do you have a test today? I did. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> so Genesis 126 says, And God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There's a lot more after that, but the yeah. verses that part after that talks about dominion, which has to do with the, the kingdom. kingdom. We talked yeah. about that, yeah. But God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So what does that mean? Image and mm-hmm. likeness. So image, we kind of addressed with the sons, right? Yeah, and I think even with bride. And with bride. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but we haven't really touched on the likeness. Yeah. Maybe they go together. And really, I think one thing we really want to talk about here um, is what does this give man the capacity to do? Um, 
and where does this actually happen? So I think we should go to Genesis 2 to see exactly in what way we get the image. But I'll preface it by saying that having God's image is not so much an outward matter. It's not so much that I look like God, right? He's invisible. I mean, it's kind of complicated when you talk about Jesus and all that. But it's like primarily us being in his image means that we have some um, human virtues that, or capacity for human virtues that match the divine attributes of God in the sense that I have the capacity to love you. That is, and that is it, my ability to express the divine attribute of God being love. I have the capacity to, you know, show kindness to others, to be joyful, to um, do all these things that match God. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that I ha- I'm doing that actively, right? Yeah, so, okay, so when you say capacity, it's almost like, so that you're saying like Adam was created, um, I don't know, I'm just trying to, I'm trying to make this out. So he's created in a sense like to, to, he has certain attributes yeah. that he can, that he can express. Yeah. But when you say he has the capacity, uh, I don't know, can you elaborate some? Yeah, I guess it's best to contrast this with other animals, um, and they're, what they're able to do. Okay. Um, and I think also to show that this, I mean, he has, he is able to do these things that match God. Um, and also because he's able to, it's just, we just naturally know that this is what he should do. Okay. There's a certain purpose in the creation of man with him having this image. Um, and it kind of, it gives all humanity this kind of, Purpose. I know I should be doing good, you can say. Right. I know I should be loving others. I know I should be honest. I know I should be these things. This is the like inherent thing within man that causes him to want to match this eternal being. It's this it's something that corresponds to God that other animals don't possess. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And so the reason why it corresponds to God is let's go to the verse in Genesis two that shows how this happened. That's Genesis two seven. When you, when you get a more detailed picture of the forming of man. It says, Jehovah God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. So this breath of life that Jehovah breathed into man mm-hmm. is what gives him the image of God. So what, what is the breath, or the breath of life? Yeah, there's a verse in Job about this, isn't there? Yeah, it's uh, Job 32. I don't know which verse. Uh, yeah, let me see. Mm, I think it's 32.8. Yep, yep. That's right. <clears throat> I just got there. So, but it is the spirit in man, the breath of the Almighty that makes him understand. Whoa, yeah. <laughs> so they're, they're put in like apposition there. So yeah, and actually it's the same word. Breath and, what is yeah. it, num? Neshima, right? Neshima. Neshima, yeah. yeah. Neither of us are Hebrew scholars, but... N- no. Um, Does it also mean wind? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, it's used in a lot of different forms. And so, another key verse, I mean, that verse says it too in Job. It's the spirit of man within him. Um, Job twenty twenty seven 
says the spirit of man is the lamp of Jehovah. I think it's Proverbs. I'm sorry. What did I say? Job. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proverbs. That's right. So within man, there's this human spirit. I mean, not the same thing as the divine spirit. And it gives us the capacity if it's the lamp of Jehovah. And so if he puts his divine fire in it, then there's a proper oh, I see. expression. Yeah, okay, yeah. I like that. So the, the yeah. lamp has the capacity yeah. to magnify the light, yeah. to contain the light. Yeah, exactly. Okay. And so actually, you know, you can relate this to a glove. Um, if you're given a glove and you look at it, you can tell something about its purpose, right? It's made to, you know, be yeah. a part of grabbing things, to prevent other things from happening, but it's like, you see in the glove itself that its purpose is to firstly be filled with a hand, to have a hand, to be put onto a hand. Yeah. It has a, shape, a certain shape that tells you its purpose. And once a hand is in it, then it can really have its purpose fulfilled. Right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it's in the image of the hand. Yeah. yeah. And so this is a huge theme throughout the scriptures that God wants to come in, fill man, so that man can express him. And it's very much in contrast to the religious concept that a lot of believers unfortunately have that we should just try and imitate God or um, just do good apart from him. And really that kind of those two things are contrasted with the two trees in Genesis. You have the tree of life, which is eat of me, like get filled with my life and live a dependent life. Or eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which will let you know what you should do, but it's apart from God. And really, you're unable to do it apart from God. So this kind of scene is put like bright as day in Genesis 2 and 3. So yeah. Yeah, so okay, so one of the questions that I would have is... <clears throat> okay, so the... the what, what, I guess what has to do with... It looks like there's three things that happen in the creation. There's mm-hmm. the dust mm-hmm. or the dirt, right? And then there's the breath. Mm-hmm. So those are two components. But then it says man, it's like he becomes this third thing. The, the soul? The soul, soul. Like, like the soul or the or living being. It's just like he, <coughs> at the, the joining of these two things, mm-hmm. made man. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's really important to distinguish between the two. Um, Man in himself is a living soul, but the living soul is a, in a sense, a composite or is a result of the spirit being breathed in into the corporal, like, you know, flesh of man. And so it is like this thing, it's the result of those two things. The The body corresponds with the material realm. Uh, it allows you to interact with things. I can poke you, you know, I can touch the dirt. I can interact with the material realm the spirit, the breath of the Almighty within me, the spirit of man, is what allows me to interact with the spiritual realm, what allows me to contact God, to worship Him, to fellowship with Him, and is what enables Him to come into me, unlike the creatures. But my soul is what makes up my person, and it's distinct from the other two. So it's what makes Reese Reese, makes Will Will. It's my mind, my emotion, my will, my personality. And it's what allows me to interact with other people. Like you and I talking right now, though it might sound weird, our souls are communicating, are communicating in some way. Yeah, It's a psychological interaction. Yeah. 
And so, I mean, this is clear in 1 Thessalonians 5.23. It says that, you know, may he sanctify you wholly in your spirit, soul, and body. Um, Hebrews 4.12 talks about the division of soul from spirit, lowercase s. So it's very clear in the Bible there's three parts of man. And the spirit is the critical part for this expression of God. Yeah, isn't there also a verse? Um, yeah, here it is in Luke one forty six. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Yeah, that's another distinction. Yeah. There's a lot of others that kind of prevents these as, or presents these as a contrast. And the spirit sometimes is referred to as like the inner man within. Um, it's this hidden part. And it's actually the part within humanity that's deadened at the fall. He says, on this day you shall surely die. And though he didn't die physically, Adam did die spiritually. He lost any means of fellowship with God. Yeah. And so when the, when the Christian is first enlivened, regenerated, God comes in and fills his spirit and enlivens and regenerates his spirit. And so that's a verse in John 3, 6. It says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Right? When you're born, you're born of the flesh, and you be in the flesh is what is begotten. But that which is born of the spirit, capital S God Spirit of God, is spirit, the lowercase S, Spirit of God. And so what really happens there is the divine spirit comes in and joins your human spirit. That's first Corinthians six seventeen. He who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with yeah. him. And so we become one with God in that part. Yeah. And, yeah, and I guess to add to that, the, the point you're making too, I just, this verse right here. <clears throat> so after man falls, uh, in Genesis 3.24, this is what God, God does a couple things, but the last thing he does is he drove out the man at the east of the Garden of Eden and he placed the cherubim of a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Yeah. So like his, I mean, I, I in a way too, that would kind of unlock almost like the center of the Garden of Eden. Hmm. It's like it's like the sin, the, the 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 Lord wasn't necessarily guarding. I mean, the cherubim wasn't guarding Eden necessarily. It was hmm. guarding the tree of life. Yeah, and that was even what God said. You know, less. Uh, in the, what does He say? There's a couple verses before, but since man has eaten, yeah, He's become like one of us, right? Knowing good from evil, right? Yeah, and so. Um, he basically says he'll eat the tree of life. Like, he he shouldn't eat of the tree of life in the state yeah. he's in. Yeah, it's right before those verses. Let us guard that lest he eat of it. Yeah, right. And live forever, right? And so that's kind of like unlocks the goal of the whole garden setting in general. The whole, like, mm-hmm. play, if you want to call it that. Like, the center focus is... I mean, I guess the center focus is man. But the objective is the tree of life. And so then when man is fallen, his spirit's dead, and it's like... Yeah. you. You can't, you can't eat this tree anymore mm-hmm. for some, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you have to, so this, this is actually a huge point in what we've been getting at a lot with God's purpose and it being eternal. Um, redemption being a temporal act is what enables us to get back to the eternal goal. And so man is blocked off from the tree of life via the cherubim, but once Christ comes and redeems us, now the way to the tree of life is opened. The veil's been torn. We can go to God again. Um, and we'll have to do a whole other podcast on the tree of life because that's just a loaded topic. Yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, I think we should get 
maybe get try and trace this expression thing just a little bit more, um, you know, just to stick with that theme here. Yeah. And then maybe wrap it up with Revelation, see where it ends. Yeah, where should um, we go? I think one, just to talk about glory again, being expression and not being just speaking well of God. Um, there's a good verse in Second Thessalonians 1.10 that really kind of strikes me. It says, when he comes, talking about Jesus coming back, when he comes to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at in all of those who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed in that day. So when Jesus comes back, what he is coming for is to be glorified, not by his saints, but in his saints. And to be marveled at, not by his those believers, but marveled at in all those who have believed. Mm. So God's goal in his glorification or in his being glorified is through glorifying man. He, he fills us, he comes into our spirit, he saturates us, and then eventually when he comes back and our bodies are glorified, he in a sense like comes out. He, he gets an expression even through the flesh of man. And the other people who are around will see. They will. He, God will be glorified in us, based on what He's doing within us. So, to be glorified, and for God to be glorified, has nothing, hardly anything, to do with just you know, giving Him credit. It has to do with His inner working within man, glorifying man. Um. So yeah, I mean, there's another another verse I think we should hit on too about. The glory prepared. Um, yeah, was that for the sons of God or for us who have believed? I think it's in. Um, I think it's in First Corinthians. I might be wrong though. Hmm. But yeah, you're right. While you're looking for that verse, I'm just thinking like even Paul's. It seems like what he's. I mean, I don't know if I can hack into his mind, but it seems like what he's thinking or the one of the things that he keeps hitting at is like, okay, in the Colossians, for example, he talks about, <clears throat> no, no, I'm sorry, it's Philippians. For me to live is Christ, Philippians 1, yeah. 1. For me to live is Christ. So it's like his his living, the living itself is expressing Christ. Yeah. And then also in Galatians 2.20, for me to live, exactly. I mean, I'm sorry, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, right, but Christ that lives in me. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's, it's like he... Um, I mean, I don't know if accomplish is the right word, but he was he was touching on this matter. Like, my life is Christ. When I'm doing everything I'm doing, he I mean, he even saw the perp- the cross being hmm. something of God's glory. Hmm. Like, it's no longer I who live. No, yeah, I'm crucified. <laughs> I'm crucified with Christ. Yeah, yeah. I've been crucified with Christ, and so now my old man's gone. That that thing that Adam did is up on the cross. Yeah, and now I have. Really, the right. I, I'm I'm back. Yeah. In a sense. Yeah. God, God has redeemed me. Yeah. So now He can place His life in me to be expressed, not just to. I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. that's. It seems like that's that's his one of his major thoughts. Yeah. As he's writing. Yes. Now this is a huge thought, and I was actually considering this recently. I think a lot of times what we kind of think is, after we're saved, we kind of begin trying to live a good life, right? And we try to do good. It's like, I know I shouldn't, you know, I shouldn't cut. 
I shouldn't cuss anymore. Um, I definitely shouldn't, you know, steal or, you know, commit adultery or even lust. Like, I'm trying to stop myself from doing these things. And even those who have, like, read the Bible a lot and really consider it's like, they know there's this aspect of it's God's grace working within us. But a lot of times we do the same thing. We still are trying. We still are working it out. And then we just kind of give God credit. Like, oh, but it's only by the grace of God that I was able to do that. Yeah. And the problem with that is that you're still the one doing it. Like, when God comes back and everything is made known, everything is manifested, it's going to be made clear what's been wrought in you, what's actually been happening. And we need to be Christians who shift our focus from my outward doings and reforming myself to turning to Christ within and enjoying Him. And by virtue of that, I will be transformed. Like there's this great verse in 2 Corinthians 3.18 where it's, we're beholding and reflecting like a mirror the glory of the Lord. And we're being transformed into the same image from from glory to glory, even as from the Lord's spirit. So if we don't, if we're not Christians who are really legitimately turning to the Lord and facing him, and that is our primary concern, even our only concern, we don't care about the outward things. We don't care about being good. I care about looking at Christ. If he transforms me, praise the Lord. If not, then it's like, you know, that's, it's, I mean, obviously that won't happen, but it's like, it's his fault in yeah. that sense, if that's the case. He commands us to look to him, to partake of him, to enjoy him, to take him as our bread of life. And, but we tend to just try and do it ourselves. We don't have the experience of Paul of, I'm crucified. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ living in me. Right. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, you know. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it really is, I think, it's, it might sound like a subtle point, but it really is a, a revolutionary thought that we would stop working, stop doing, and would turn to the one who's already done it and who's going to work it out in us. Right. And I, I like that verse, too, because it's, he's saying <coughs> we're being transformed mm-hmm. from glory to glory, meaning there's different stages. Yeah. Of glory, and I, I would even go as far to say, like, you know, this is him being expressed out of us, meaning that, you know, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I definitely have. It's like <clears throat> my soul, the thing that constitutes me, like my personality, yeah, it's kind of whack sometimes, <laughs> you yeah. know. And so, like, I can express God in certain ways through certain things, you know, whatever. But but in other ways, I can't. And as life goes on and as I'm being transformed and my mind is being renewed and these things, then it's like the glory that's being expressed or the God that's being expressed or the, you could even say the Christ that's being expressed is intensified. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's, um, I don't know, it, you know what I'm saying? It's just like it gets magnified more. Like the more that I'm, I've been alive <laughs> yeah. and I've tried to follow the Lord, it's like there are certain things that... I really struggled with a year ago, yeah. even if it was presenting the gospel or telling my testimony, things like that even. It was like there was bits and pieces of my soul that would just get latched onto it, you know? Mm-hmm. But then as time goes on, those things just kind of fade away. And I agree with you. It's like it has to do, it, yeah, it goes It goes to the fact of beholding the Lord. Like the more we behold Him, the more He'll shine. Yeah. And we can kind of start deal, dealing with some of the things. When He exposes them, then we just bring them to Him. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's not like we're, we're basically out of the picture now. 
it, if we come to the Lord, behold him, especially, you know, coming to the Lord in the morning, reading the word, praying, he shines. And like you said, we just agree. We cooperate. We say, yes, Lord, that's right. This is off. This is not expressing you. This is where I'm still have this satanic nature. You can say, you just agree with him, his shining, you give it to him and he deals with it. And like you said, like over time, you just look back and you're like, I'm a different person. And that wasn't me doing it. Yeah. And Paul could say that boldly. I think a lot of times, if I mean, in my experience, when I try and reform myself, even when I'm successful in some of the things, the only result that happens is I then begin to be puffed up. Others look to me and it's like, who's being glorified now? Is it Christ? No, it's me. It's reformed Reese, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's very important. And like I said, in the end, it will be made manifest, you know, what exactly has taken place. So there is a verse in Revelation. I think we need to yeah, know, wrap it tie it to the end because sure. um, it's an eternal purpose. So it should be seen in the beginning and it should be seen in the end. And once again, it's with the new Jerusalem, which is symbolic of the church as the bride of Christ. Um, and Revelation 21, verse 10 and 11 says, And he carried me away in spirit onto a great and high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. And then it begins to describe these stones that we talked about the building. But the new Jerusalem has the glory of God. And so it fulfills this desire of God that was seen in the beginning, which is, I want something that expresses me, that's in my image, and that's of my likeness, and which from which I can shine out of. And that's exactly what he does. He shines out. It says it has the appearance of Jasper, which is the exact same appearance that God has back in earlier in Revelation. He's the light of this city. It shines out. So it's become this vessel, this entity that is fully expressing God, has his own glory. That's really good. Yeah. That's a good point to end on. Because... Yeah, anyways, I, I really like how this whole series went, mm-hmm. just, I guess, as a conclusion. I mean, but you, tying tying things in like this, I think, really sets the tone for the rest of the topics that we'll address, because mm-hmm. we're, we're trying to draw lines. And this one I'm going to have to still do some more research on, but I, I do like this, this um, topic of glory, because it's not like, I, and I heard this a lot growing up, like, the bottom line is God's glory. Yeah. Which, in other words, would be like God's purpose is His glory. And I always turn that into like praise, like glory and praise being the same thing. Yeah. It's like, oh, I just, if I praise God, I give Him the glory. I'm going to make an A. It's like, I'm going to give Him the glory. But it's like, God didn't study. Yeah. You know, He didn't go to class. It was me. I went to class. Mm-hmm. And I made the A. Mm-hmm. Anyways, yeah. I, I do I do really like that. That that it's it's His expression. It's not like something that we necessarily take and turn. Yeah. You know, it's like we're, we're just kind of... I don't know, that deflect, you know, Yeah. anyways. Yeah, and I think one thing we'll have to save for another podcast is this thought that actually God's purpose can't be fulfilled in you glorifying Him and you expressing Him. It's very explicit in particular in the New Testament, especially, I mean, I'm thinking of Ephesians 3.21, which says, glory be to God, glory in the church and in Christ Jesus forevermore. So this glory where God's purpose is fulfilled is in the church. It's a corporate thing. It's so a big question we have to ask ourselves is not just are we expressing God, but 
are we joined to others as a corporate expression of God? And what is the church even? Is my denomination at home? Is that the fulfillment of that purpose? Um, anyways, these are going to be some big and controversial topics that I really look forward to. I'm not sure about you, but yeah, this will be good. Cool. But yeah, this that ends our, I guess, series on what does the Bible say about God's purpose. So Yeah, do you know what's happening next? Do we know where we're at? Oh, gosh. I don't know. What do you think? I bet we just talk about it. We'll have to consider. Okay, <laughs> spoiler. Or wait, no spoiler. Yeah, okay. okay. All right, see ya.